wrapping up this series called Bulletproof today. And I want to begin today by asking you a question. And before I ask you the question, I want to invite you to go back into school. Put yourself back in a classroom. Now, for many of us, we're going way, 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 way back to get into school. Others of us, I know maybe you were in school just a couple of days ago. But I want you to put yourself in that academic setting. And here's the question. If you had to choose between either, on one hand, math and science, or on the other hand, English and history, which one would you choose? Math and science or English and history? Now, now math and science people, these are people who prefer precision. They, they like cut and dried, black and white, one answer, show your work and you move on. But then there are others of us in the English and history camp, and we kind of gravitate to the gray areas. We like to elaborate and, and illustrate our thoughts in prolific prose in the hopes that the fact that we don't know the material inside and out can be drowned in an ocean of words and ideas. Now, what's interesting is neither side is right or wrong, but most people gravitate one way or the other. So how many of you in the room right now or watching online, how many of you are math and science people? Let me just see a show of hands. We're going to get this person the counseling they need. That's okay. <laughs> now, how many of you are English and history people? Yeah, these are my people. I feel you. Well, today, as we bring this series in for a landing, we're going to take a test. And our test will transcend learning styles and preferences. This is a test that all of us can excel in. For the last few weeks, we have seen over and over and over again that God's design, God's desire for marriage is for a husband and wife to experience oneness, this absolute united front, this this unified home and body and soul and all parts of life, that they would be literally one flesh, the Bible calls it. And so today as we wrap up this series, we're going to take an IQ test. Now ladies, don't worry. Your husband's status will not be revealed through this test. Because it's not just an intelligence quotient test. Today we're going to take an intimacy test quotient test. We're going to take a test that measures the intimacy quotient of marriage. Now, when I say the word intimacy, that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Some of you are thinking Hallmark cards, when Harry met Sally, the notebook. And others of you are thinking chicka bow wow, and that's fine. Because both are supported biblically. Both are supported in the biblical record of intimacy between husband and wife. Now, I think this is a very important moment and juncture in the message to make sure that we all remember the reality that though you may not be married right now, this message, this reality and truth from Scripture is absolutely for you. If you're not married... Maybe you're divorced, maybe you're a student and have never been married, maybe you have resigned yourself and said, you know what, I'm going to be single and that's okay. It's very important that we remember that God places a high, high premium 
on singleness. If you look throughout the Bible, God used people who were not married in profound ways. The Apostle Paul. Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Paul was single. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit of God inspired Paul to talk about this in the book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks specifically to singles, and he says, you have a special opportunity in God's economy to be used by God, for God to work in your life and through your life if you're singleness, if your life is devoted to him, that's a big deal because married people have a lot of distractions. You can focus on the things of God and serve him and love him in a more complete and more full way that married people can't. We all have limited bandwidth. And as a single, God says, I can use that and absolutely bless it in ways that you can't even imagine. So, so don't check out on this conversation because the other reality is that over 95% of us will at some point in life be married. And our intimacy quotient, our ability to really and truly connect with another human being is a big, big deal. To get at this, we're going to go back to the book of Ephesians. Throughout this series, we've, we've used Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5 repeatedly over and over again as a template for what marriage ought to look like, what it can look like, and how God works between husband and wife. So if you've got your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 5, or maybe it's on your phone. And as you're looking that up, let me just remind you that the Apostle Paul was a Jew. And we know that Paul specifically was a Ph.D. scholar of what you and I refer to as the Old Testament. He knew it backwards and forwards, upside down and right side out. He was a scholar of the Scriptures. And as such, in Ephesians chapter 5, as he's explaining how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, impacts, how it affects and sometimes course-corrects marriage, he references the Old Testament in Ephesians chapter 5, look at what Paul says. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Just in those two verses, we have everything we need to take our IQ test today. In those two verses, and also I hope this is a reassurance to you, our IQ test is three questions. It's just three questions to help us evaluate our intimacy quotient, what we're capable of if we're not married, or what we're actually experiencing and achieving if we are married. The first question on our IQ test is this, how is your marital insulation How's your marital insulation? You see, he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. When you get married, when a person is married, there is a supernatural transfer of priority. Prior to marriage, in God's economy, the most significant human interpersonal relationship is parent-child. It's because of parents that there are children. It's because of parents that children grow up, that we raise them up, that we teach them, and we send them out into the world to buy their own food and hopefully be contributing members of society. That, that's 
parent-child. But once we get married biblically, then we step into a new higher priority relationship. Mom and dad are still honored. We still respect our parents. But now all of a sudden, this is family, husband and wife. This, this played out for Julie and me in a really strange way that I did not anticipate. We had been married for about eight or nine months. And because we had been married such a short time, I was, man, my head was swimming. I was trying to be a good husband, trying to figure it out and had no idea what I was doing. And about eight or nine months after we got married, Julie just very casually said to me one day, she goes, I think I'm going to go home in a couple of weeks. And something about that sentence hit me wrong. Now, I didn't say that out loud because I was a new, new husband and I was trying to figure out what to do. So I just kind of went, oh, okay, that sounds great. I think you should. And all of a sudden, about a day and a half later, it hit me why that hit me wrong. I wanted this to be home. Now, Julie's mom and dad, we get along great with them. We were very blessed in that we get along great with my mom and her husband. We get along great with Julie's mom and dad. But... The reality is, once you are married, husband and wife, man and woman, one man, one woman, one life, once you are married in covenant marriage, there exists the possibility that other people, other relationships, other issues can drive a wedge between husband and wife. It's possible. How many of you have heard that sometimes married people have trouble with in-laws? If you've heard about that, just theoretically and philosophically. But I was able to articulate to Julie at 25 years old, I said, you know, I just, I got to tell you, it, it just was, it felt weird when you said you were going home because I think this is home. And she was horrified that she had offended me. And, and I said, listen, I'm not, I'm not leaving. I think we're going to make it through this. But I just thought I'd point out that this is now home. And she said, I totally understand. It's just force a habit when you're in college and you are leaving where you're in college to go back and visit your parents. You say you're going home. So that was going home. But now this is home. I understand. I want to go see my family back in Mississippi. I said, awesome. Go. Godspeed. Vaya con Dios. See you when you get home. But as husband and wife, we have to work on insulation. We have to work on staying the number one priority in each other's lives. There is no other relationship more important than husband and wife. Not even kids. Somebody help me preach. Because kids can get in the way of our intimacy quotient. My good friend, Ed Young, one of the greatest preachers and leaders I've ever heard of, Ed says that kids, K-I-D-S, stands for Keeping intimacy at a distance successfully. That's funnier than you just laugh, but I'm telling you, that's, that can be true if we're not careful. So what, how, how do we keep this thing? How do we keep the main thing? The main thing, keeping our marriage insulated. The second question on our IQ test, what is our marital intimacy quotient? What's our marital intimacy quotient? Now, again, when I say the word intimacy, that covers over an incredible, an incredible menu of potential blessings from God. 
Paul said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I think it's interesting. We've spent four weeks talking about marriage, and we haven't really talked about sex very much. I want you to write this down on your notes page there. Sex is a big deal. Somebody ought to shout amen. Sex is a big deal. Some of you think, I can't write that in church. There's no way. If my mom ever found out I wrote that down in church, she'd excommunicate me. But it is. There's a reason why the world uses our sexuality to capture our attention, to distract us, to sell us stuff, to make us tune in and check out. It's because it's hardwired into who we are. God invented sex. God invented it. He created man and wife, man and woman as sexual creatures, male and female. He created them in the image of God. And the confusion and the chaos and the miscommunication and the mistruths and half-truths that circulate in our world don't change the fact that sex is a gift from God. Now, I referenced Ephesians chapter 5 there, but I also put in parentheses Song of Songs. There is an entire book of the Bible devoted to the subject of covenant marriage sexuality celebration between husband and wife. Song of Songs. There are only 66 books in the whole Bible, but one of them is devoted to marital intimacy and sex. It is a celebration. The book of Proverbs, God's book of wisdom, says celebrate, may you enjoy the wife of your youth. May her breasts satisfy you always. This is scriptural. This is the Bible talking. Some of you guys are going, where's that verse? I'm going to memorize some scripture this afternoon. But it's so important that we understand that and we're not shied away from it. Look at what the Bible says. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Now, just time out real quick. Don't freak out when you read that. Like, I'm not, uh-uh. Remember, we started this series in Ephesians chapter 5 where it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. That's, this, is a, this is an outgrowth of that reality, that command. Verse 5, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Somebody shout amen. That's, that's the Bible. So, you know what? I'm going to tell you a great story. About 15 years ago, I was preaching on this passage of Scripture, and we were still meeting in the high school at that time. And after the service finished, you know, we were kind of cleaning up and getting ready to leave. And one of our, one of our off-duty sheriffs who worked as a security guard for us came over, and he said, uh, Pastor, can I talk to you for just a second? I said, yeah, absolutely. What's wrong? And I, you know, we, we love, we love our sheriff's deputies and, and the ones who provide safety. And, and so I was like, what can I do to help? And he said, he said, I, I couldn't help but hearing your sermon today. And 
that you, you talked about do not deprive each other sexually. What was that Bible verse again? I want to write that down because my wife won't believe that it's in the Bible. That's funny. I don't care who you are. That right there is funny. But it matters. Now, in the event of physical infirmities, problems physically or physiologically that preclude sexual intimacy between husband and wife, especially, especially in those situations, it's imperative that husband and wife stay on the same page. That you remember it's not sex only that creates intimacy, but that you stay on the same page. You, you communicate with each other because here's the reality. Intimacy will sustain what lust will abandon. Intimacy will sustain what lust will abandon. So sex is a part of intimacy, but it is not intimacy in and of itself. How many of you are parents in the house? Let me just see a show of hands if you're a mom or a dad. Parents, we, we kind of, sometimes we can fear if we're not careful or not deliberate. We, we can worry about how do we explain this to our kids? How do we have the talk with our children? And what age, when are they ready? When, how do we, you know, beat somebody telling them something on the playground? How do we handle this as mom and dad? And I'll never forget, Julie shared with me years ago that, that she had had the conversation with our daughter Emily when she was getting ready to, you know, find out about stuff in school, she preempted the school district because it was our responsibility, not the school districts. And she said one night as we were, you know, going to bed and the kids were down, she said very matter-of-factly, hey, hey, I meant to tell you, I had the talk with Emily this afternoon. I said, you did what? She, she is 20 yet. We had an agreement. <laughs> she goes, I, that's very funny, Mac. I said, okay, how'd it go? She goes, it was fine, it was fine, but I, I just thought you ought to know. I also told her that she could always talk to you about anything and ask you anything. I said, you did what? <laughs> well, fast forward about, I don't know, two months or so after that fateful evening, I was downstairs tucking Emily in and kissed her on the forehead. I said, I love you, Boog. I'll see you in the morning. Good night. You're the best. Night, night. And I had just gotten to the doorway, turned out the light, and she said, Dad. I said, yeah, having no idea what was about to happen. She said, you know, Mom and I had a talk. And so there in the dark I went, I know you did. She said, can I ask you a question? And to myself I said, no. <laughs> and I said, of course you can ask me a question. And she proceeded, I'm not going to get into it here, but she asked a very direct question. I said, I can't wait to talk to your mother when I get upstairs. But that question precipitated a conversation. And I sat down on, on the corner of, of Emily's bed and I said, Emily, here's the thing you got to understand. When God made you a girl, just like when he made me a boy or your mom when she was a girl or Joseph who's a boy. When God made us, he gave us a gift. And I just, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go into any detail, but I just want you to know the gift is great. Sex is a great gift from God. And he gave it to you for you to protect and hang on to until you get married so that you can give the most precious gift you'll ever give to somebody, to somebody that you love and that you trust and will be with you for the rest of your life. 
And so you get to decide, Emily, from now on, how much you protect that gift, how much you cherish and guard that gift, and how special it is when you do get married one day when you're 40. <laughs> and and it, just, it just came out. And I've gone back to that conversation a lot of times because the fact of the matter is every single one of us has done something to damage that gift. We all have. We, we've all damaged it. Jesus said if you've ever looked at somebody with lust in your heart, then you've already committed adultery. Isn't that inconvenient? That all of a sudden he makes it a heart issue. Thanks. But it is. So we've all tarnished it to some degree. But Jesus Christ who went to the cross in your place and in my place and rose from the dead makes all things new. So it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how ashamed you may be. In Jesus, all things are new. And you have the choice from this moment forward to decide how you will guard and protect this gift that in Jesus can be made new again. It's true for Emily in the fourth grade. It's true for every single one of us here right now. That's, that's that intimacy quotient that we guard and we protect. Because in marriage, sex is, is both thermostat and thermometer. Sex can help to set the marital temperature for the relationship, but it also shows us how the marriage is doing. How are we doing intimacy-wise? How are we doing in our oneness, in our unifiedness? Sex is a great revealer of that, but it can also be a great fuel for it. It's a gift from God. It's a gift to be celebrated in marriage. Anything other than that tarnishes the gift. Anything other than that is less than what God wants it to be in covenant marriage. One man, one woman, one life with one God. And in that context, there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to hide from. It is something to be guarded and protected. When we do talk to our kids, we tell them, say, you can ask me anything about the subject. I'm not going to share with you anything personal because it's personal. But anything about the subject, you're welcome to ask about. And then you frame the conversation. You set the stage and make it a win for your kids so that they're not afraid of it, they're not ashamed of it, there's nothing to hide from, but there's something to guard and protect and to celebrate in its proper time, in its proper place. This is the gift of God Almighty in our lives. It also means that we don't tolerate anything that can damage or hurt the gift. Anything that we look at, any, any TV shows that, that routinely tarnish the gift or, or make it commonplace or, or celebrate any kind of twisting of it, that's not what this is about. We're, we're going to lift it up and elevate it to the level God elevates it to. So we have a zero tolerance for pornography. We don't allow any of that crap into our homes. We have conversations with our kids. We allow our kids to check our computers. We check their computers, and nobody erases their browser history. It's a big deal. It's a big deal, and it's a zero tolerance because that stuff is cancerous and poison to our hearts, our souls, and our lives, and ultimately to our marriages. So we talk to people about it, people we trust, people we love. People hold us accountable. We hold them accountable. And we celebrate the goodness of God on a regular basis. Well, what does it mean to not deprive each other? I don't know. That's between you and your spouse. 
One couple's deprivation is another couple's exhaustion. But here's a novel thought. Talk about it. What? Yeah, talk about it. How are we doing? You satisfied? Because the Bible says that as a husband, I should meet your needs. And honey, I'm here for you. Servant heart. There's one more question in our IQ test. How's your marital imaging? How's your marital imaging? Paul said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. Now he said, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. You see, Paul says, your marriage ultimately isn't yours. It's a big deal. But ultimately, your marriage is a spiritual job. It is a spiritual opportunity and responsibility to reflect the character and the nature of God every day. So that husband and wife reflect the relationship between Jesus and church. So all of a sudden, how I talk to Julie when I'm tired, when I'm in a bad mood, when I'm in a good mood, how I talk to her matters eternally. Because we're representing before our children, we're representing before our neighborhood and our schools and our community, our city and the world. This is what it looks like to be unified because Jesus said in John chapter 15, God, I pray for my followers that they would be united as you and I are united, that they would be one as you and I are one. So this unity of husband and wife, all of a sudden isn't about companionship or having kids or travel soccer or any of that other stuff. All of a sudden, this is about an eternal assignment. This is about an eternal calling from God himself. So I love Julie as Jesus loves the church. That means that I love Julie and I sacrifice for her. This means that Julie loves me as the church loves Christ. She respects me. She, she honors what we have, and, and together we move it forward. Together we allow the person of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in the power of the Father of God, the power of the Father God, to make this marriage everything he wants it to be because ultimately it's about relationship. It's about relationship. All roads lead to the gospel. All roads lead to the good news of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrates and permeates every part of life. So now, those of you who are single, now that you understand what marriage is ultimately all about, maybe who you date becomes a little bit more of a priority. Maybe your standards have just risen a little bit. And you're kind of like, you know what? I don't need to do that again. I don't need to go out with homeboy over there because he doesn't have a fat clue what God wants him to do in a marriage with me. So take care. See you. Bye. It's you. It's not me.
but it's relationship. Some of you are here today, and you've never stepped into a relationship with God. You, you think that Christianity is about being a good guy or a good girl or maybe going to church more often than you don't or kind of making sure your pluses outweigh your minuses, and all those things are fine as far as they go, but they don't go far enough. It is only in relationship with Jesus that we get to where God wants us to be, that we get to where God created us to be. And so if you're here today and you've never stepped into that, we want to give you the opportunity to do it, to just choose and decide to respond to his grace initiative. The song that we sang earlier, his grace on top of grace, once lost, now found, how sweet, the sound, grace. It's a gift, but a gift has to be opened. It has to be responded to because it's relational. He's taken the initiative, and he invites you into it. I want to ask everybody if you will bow your heads for just a moment. And as you do, I want to just invite you, if you've never stepped into that relationship with God, to pray right where you're sitting, just right now, just silently talk to God. Just silently say, Jesus, I need you. I know your grace is amazing. I know that you can make me new, that you can make me whole again. And so I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness. And I submit, I surrender my life to you. From this point forward, I will follow you throughout my life here on earth and Jesus forever because I trust you. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a brief moment, nobody moving around because we're on sacred ground right now. If that was your prayer, this is the greatest moment of your life. This is the moment from which God will build every other moment that will ever follow. And so it matters. And so you understand that there's a part of this that is very personal. This is between you and God and as a church, we want to help. When you prayed that prayer, you were immediately adopted into the family of faith, the church. Like every family, we're not perfect. We have not arrived by any stretch of the imagination, but we want to help. And so if you just stepped into that relationship with Jesus, I want to ask you before you leave today, will you just take the program and open it up. There's a place in there on the Connect card just for your name and contact info. And then just indicate on the card, I committed my life to Christ today, this week. And before you leave, will you just hand that connection card to one of our ushers, one of our hosts, maybe who has on a blue shirt with the LAC logo on it? To make that connection just personal. Make it real so that we can begin the process of helping. And, and by the way, 
so that we can begin the process of learning from you. We need you. And we want to be a part of what God's doing in your life, and we want you to be a part of what he's doing in ours. And so that card is just the beginning step for that. It starts the conversation. Second of all, if that was your prayers, our heads are bowed for just another moment. If that was your prayer and you meant it, would you just raise your hand high over your head? Just lift your hand and hold it up there to stamp this moment indelibly, to know that it's real, that it actually happened, that you responded to God's grace initiative. And to know that we as a church family celebrate that. We honor that in your life. And so we do. We celebrate that as you put your hands down. We put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.